I invite you to take a moment, finding a place of stillness, be it sitting down, lying down, a place of comfort. And in doing so, I offer the invitation to walk in someone else's shoes, be it someone familiar or the general population, someone outside of yourself. Taking a moment to breathe in and breathe out. Imagining, walking, empathizing, and learning what it's like to be in someone else's position. Breathing in and breathing out, allowing yourself to watch what comes up. Checking in with your physical body, breathing in and breathing out. How are you reacting? What is coming up? Now, taking another breath in and a breath out, actively consider what it might be like to be in their shoes for a day, for an hour, or simply for that moment. Breathing in and breathing out, checking in with your emotional heart, witnessing the spectrum of emotions someone else may have in their lived experience. And now, shifting to the thoughts, wondering what it's like to be in their mind, in their day, in their lived experience. And as doing so, taking one final breath in and releasing breath out and bowing to their experience. Hi, it's Ryan. Welcome to your weekly dose of The Psychedelic Psychologist, where I invite my guests to talk about their psychedelic experiences. We share a variety of topics from overcoming addiction to finding wholeness and spiritual emergence. Today's podcast, we're going to do something different where I am the guest, and I have the privilege and honor for Kate to interview me. Kate, thank you so much. Hi, thank you for inviting me to the conversation and the topic. Yeah, it feels weird being on the other side. Does it? (laughs) A little bit. It will be fun. Yeah, well, I've been following you since the start of this podcast and and maybe even before that podcast started and just your your journey. So I would love to hear a little bit about the inception of the Psychedelic Psychologist podcast and what it's all about, what you're all about. Thank you. The idea came from being interviewed a handful of times. And what I've been learning and listening to was I wanted everybody to share their personal story. I'm finding out through my work as a psychedelic integration therapist that there's a plethora of wonderful information that my clients and the general public have to provide as wisdom. And so with the psychedelic psychologist, I wanted to give the voice 
back to the general and the collective rather than just speaking from the clinician's perspective or the therapist's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really amazing stories. I've heard your podcast reaches up to 30 different countries across the world. It seems that there's really no better time on the planet that we're being invited to start to recognize some of these alternative states of consciousness and a great invitation right now. I'm curious from your perspective, the you've been you've been doing psychedelics for a long time. What are some of the differences and similarities that you're seeing in the new renaissance, in this new invitation and this rebirth of psychedelics? It's a really good question. First of all, the honor and the humility I have knowing that it's being heard over in 30 different countries is quite astounding. And what it says to me is that there's a collective and a group of communities that want to be heard, want to also be reassured. And so to answer the latter part of that question, from my perspective, I believe the new Renaissance is doing it with a deeper sense of consciousness. And what I really get behind as well is a deeper sense of harm reduction, meaning that we're taking care of each other, we're protecting the setting, we're protecting the mindset, we're helping cultivate the practical integration before and after an experience. And one of the things that's really been profound about the new vantage point we have with psychedelics is there's a real self-awareness within the community that's teaching, that's offering information, that's providing a multitude of different suggestions and support. So I'm getting a lot of reassurance knowing that we're not doing this with a lack of consciousness. This idea of being a lot more prudent and practical has really lit me up recently. You've recently found yourself integrating a psychedelic experience, yes? Yeah, correct. Recently, I had a profound experience where I also would never ask anyone to do what I wouldn't do. So I always want to check and really what I call calibrate myself. As you know, it's important to just check in. And I use the medicine as an opportunity to calibrate, refocus, and listen and really find a sense of stillness, specifically this time of year. Yeah. So with, with that experience, I'm curious just to stay on the thread of integration. How, how are you currently actively integrating that experience? And, and when was the experience? And if you want to maybe give some color around the experience and then also what you take away and how you integrate that in your daily life. At this moment, what I've been finding is almost an unfolding or folding back of sorts from the moment I did the experience to now, it's been really realizing this importance of finding structure in my integration process. To color the experience, I had a wonderful opportunity that really surprised me based off of my intention, which was to check in, again, calibrate and see what I need to look at. And that was really the question I asked was, I need to see what I have to look at. And what immediately came to attention was my body. This experience for me became such an embodied experience. It was not the classical psychedelic experience where I had a high sense of visual perceptions or even a sense of emotional expression. What was really happening to me 
was getting into my body. And in doing so, Kate, what I had to do was I also had to recognize how hard I was on my body, what I had done to my body. And in this experience, it was a profound opportunity for me to reconcile where I was hard on myself. And of course, you can imagine a need for self-love came in, gratitude, kindness. And as I always say, this idea of being honest with oneself. And so for me, it was looking myself in the mirror, but not cognitively or emotionally. But this time, really, I could feel cells in my body. And what ended up happening, which was tremendously, for lack of better terms, insane, was that evening, I literally fell to the ground and was lying on my back and incapable of moving. So about three or four hours after the experience, I literally had a physical and somatic experience that put me on my back, where having a family, raising children, and having a beloved wife, I couldn't do anything. They were literally tending to my physical body, which was really humbling. It put me in check of how impermanent this is and how important it is to nurture and tend to this body. So how how have you changed just living in reverence with your body based on that experience? Do you feel like in the integration you have changed different habits or ways of being more kind to your body? That's a really wonderful question to put me in reflection because I talk a lot about that to my clients and you're allowing me to pause. And it's making me consider that there hasn't been this radical idea, right, where I'm now all of a sudden vegan again. I used to be vegan or I'm drinking pure distilled water 24 hours a day and cleansing myself and caring to this and doing working out or doing 16 different yoga classes. You're allowing me to remember that it's an incremental process. For me, I am being kinder to myself. I've been treating the injuries that I've had. I've been listening to the body going slower. Now that you've asked me that brings awareness to my pace. And in that, that's really what I'm actively integrating right now, because I can and have to be honest with myself. I have not changed eating habits. I have not done anything radically altering, which doesn't alarm me. It's really actually putting into perspective the importance of just being kind to myself and allowing myself to accept my body for what it is and not push it into something that doesn't feel congruent. Thanks. You also mentioned in the conversation the, the support that may have come from your family just based on your particular experience with being, so to speak, on your back, somatically incapable of potentially being able to care for your family. So how has your family, how does your family show up in integration, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent? Just curious how you lean on them or don't lean on them to process some of the experience. As I've grown 
and developed, one of the things that's been tremendously valuable is the grounding that my family provides me. Doing what I do as an integration therapist and talking about spirituality and the ethos and the cosmos and these radical experiences and let alone traumas, one of the things that I have a deep homage towards my family about is their capacity to hold what I'm talking about, what I'm doing and what I'm expressing. And they really lift me up to be my authentic self. But in doing that, they keep me so grounded to the earth by being capable of presence, being soft, being very kind, being open-hearted. And I've really, in particularly since my experience, recognized the lessons and the teachings that can be done by living a very simple life of this moment, this body. And I see it often, obviously, specifically through my children and their innocence, their ability to just flourish in what they emote and how they operate, as well as what my wife does, which is really ground me. I mean, she'll be the first one to tell me, hey, it's time to breathe. It's time to go, go do another session. So at the end of the day, they really keep me calibrated. I said that earlier, but it's true. They really offer me some boundaries and perspective. So this is this the first conversation you've had with someone else, maybe outside of your family, around integration? And I'm just curious, since you were flipping roles, like how eye-opening, how important, how does it feel to be kind of on the other side? Do you feel like it's helpful in terms of holding you accountable or getting you to think about different questions that you hadn't asked yourself? It's perfectly said. And I'm humbled by this experience because it's making me verbalize, which I think is highly important. So to answer your question long-winded, which I always seem to do, is I am now by doing this, recognizing the value of time stamping it and acknowledging what I have done. And also, as you said eloquently, holding myself accountable. We can do that in a journal. We can do that in kind of self-reflection. But what has happened, and that's why I love being a psychedelic integration specialist, is it provides my clients a window into themselves. It allows them to hear. And that's what's happening right now as you're asking these questions. I don't do this often, if not at all, outside of my family. And so what I'm coming up against in this moment is a deep reverence of transparency, which will heal me, hold me accountable, and provide a perspective based off of your lovely questions and holding the space for me to fluidly go through what I felt in that experience and what I'm walking with today. Yeah. Yeah. Is I mean, is integration hard? I feel like it's it seems like an easy topic to talk about, but how hard is it as a as a seeker or a experiential person to truly take your learnings and apply them? Is is it hard, or do you think it's easy? Could I say and both? Because what you said when you say it that immediately resonates with me. This idea of the idea or the theoretical construct. It's easy to say, oh, let's integrate. Everything needs to be integrated. But as I often say, this idea of 
integration needs to be grounded in practicality. We need to action it, we need to do it, and we need to holistically come around to it. I believe integration is hard. I believe integration is the journey. I believe integration is a seeking of wholeness, whatever that means to somebody. For me, I know integration is opening doors that I don't want to open, feeling feelings that I might recognize cognitively, but to actively do them or engage in accountability is challenging. You have to look at yourself. And if anyone thinks that's easy, I respect their perspective, but I know what has come up in my experiences takes some courage. I'm learning my own humility, vulnerability, and the essence that you said so perfectly was this balance of, okay, doing something, actively participating, and then really holding accountability to it. So what's on your psychedelic horizon? Like what's, what's next? How do you know when you feel like you've fully embraced the last experience and you're ready to move on to the next? I listen to myself. I ask from my wife. I engage. There's an opportunity where I think there needs to be an interplay of witnessing your behaviors almost as if you're out of body. So starting to recognize, oh, there I was again, potentially. And it's not in the scope that I shame myself or judge myself, but because of what I do in holding space, integrating and listening to these stories, I have to be conscious of my vessel being clean. I have to be conscious of that there's no projection, that there's this idea that I'm doing the work too. And for me, what that means, I look at the horizon as, okay, and I say it often is maybe quarterly, maybe seasonally. I listen to the seasons. I listen to what's coming up on my horizon, literally, like what physically is happening. And knowing that my family is so important and that I have to really hold space for my active real life, I know I can't just run away into the psychedelic world too. So on the other end of me wondering what my horizon looks like, I also have to be very prudent in not leaning into it, thinking that's going to be the answer. So a real direct way to distill that question is I lean into all my tools. I check in with all the corners. And if I'm still feeling like I'm falling short, then I'll start to consider a date, a season, a time that I could do it. And if that still feels comfortable to me, I will do it. I traditionally don't do this kind of haphazard approach anymore. I used to, when I was younger, do it to do it. And now I'm much more conscious of it, much more intentional. Yeah, but before we close, I'd love to open it up to you to speak anything else that is coming up for you that you'd want your listeners to hear that maybe I didn't ask a question that you really felt like was something you wanted to talk about from both the experience and or how you're integrating. This idea that has been coming up for me recently is the art of going back through an embracing opportunity rather than thinking that you're indulging. And one of the things that has been really landing on me recently 
is reconciling the term indulgent versus embracing. And what I mean by that is I hear often people shaming themselves or feeling guilty or feeling a sense of judgment because they take care of themselves, because they look at themselves, because they go to counseling or they seek counsel or go to a yoga class or put their energy into themselves. And what I'm recognizing, and I want to be an active role and role model to my children and my wife, this idea of you deserve to take time for yourself, not because you're selfish or indulging, but because it's an opportunity for you to find yourself, be with yourself, and really tend to the fire that you're hoping to cultivate in your life. And in doing so, then you can come back refreshed. And what I owe psychedelics is that. The medicine has provided me each and every time, no matter how challenging my experiences have been or how enlightening, an opportunity to just tend to myself, to love myself, and really give me time to embrace who I am, good, bad, or different. I feel like you've answered this probably throughout the whole podcast and and maybe just with that answer, but I feel you've been talking about living with more reverence and kindness for yourself, but I want to leave you with the reminder and the question of how are you continuing to stay and be gentle with yourself? I end every podcast, every session, potentially every email with how do you or should you or can you be gentle? And you're right, I probably did litter that through this entire conversation and internal session for me. But what I think gentleness is, is really the act of looking at yourself and giving yourself permission to know that we are not perfect, we are imperfect. And that does not mean that we have to be then hard on ourselves in turn. That rather, if I can, and I only speak through the I statement for this, Take a moment, acknowledge what I've done, find a way to be deeply aware of what my patterns have been or what I'm tending to as a pattern. Where the healing comes is can I accept myself? And in that, I find gentleness is can I accept myself? Can I look for forgiveness? Can I be empathetic to the person I'm looking across from? And in turn, hopefully then, that falls on me to be kinder to myself, be more open, be more receptive, and in doing so, listening deeper, witnessing with my eyes broader and bigger, and really coming with a sense of curiosity and kindness that shines out from me rather than like is inquisitive or judgmental. I think for me, that's my art of gentleness.